So what do you think about um, the sudden turnabout uh, that Robert De Niro expressed uh, earlier yeah. today that he's not going to do the taxi driver parody for Uber? He's going to do a he's going to do a you talking to me Uber commercial in London. And I sent a notice of this to Paul Schrader and he got on Facebook and said, Jeff Wells sent this to me and I don't know what Bob is thinking. But Jesus Christ, ouch. <laughs> Why he would do this is beyond my reckoning, but I haven't seen it. If I'm lucky, I never will, et cetera. Is that, did you follow any of that? I did. I did. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, welcome to Oscar Poker, everybody. This is Sasha Stone mm -hmm. with awardsdaily.com. I'm with Jeff Wells at Hollywood Elsewhere, hollywood-elsewhere.com. Um, hello, gang. Hey, hello. Can, we, can we work it out where henceforth, not this podcast, but the next one and all the ones to follow? Let's just do a little routine where, like, like uh, Huntley and Brinkley used to do. This is uh, Jeffrey. This is the Sasha Stone of Award Daily, right. and then I come in with, and this is Jeffrey Wells okay. of Hollywood Elsewhere. All right, all right, we'll do and, that. And then you do go into the rest of your field. Let's just do that. Yeah, that, yeah. That's the way the pros do it. <laughs> I like it. We'll do it I'm next time. That works. Okay. Um, all right, all right, all right. So I saw that. My first thought was the thing that made me feel bad about it was the taxi drivers in New York getting swallowed up by Uber and that they needed all the help they could get. And I was thinking, why would he be helping Uber when it's the taxi drivers who need the help at this point? Yeah. Um, so I would... Uh, I well, would... let's just face it. That's the reality. You can't stop the market. You can't stop what's already happened. It's a done deal. I mean, there's no nobody's going to go back to regular taxis. But thank God they're very... Uh, accessible when you're in the city you can flag one down just like that it's it's great you know i mean it's not like it used to be but you can still flag them down so it's not so bad i mean i feel badly but you can't stop what the market wants you know you can't do it you, you can't plus uber i don't know i mean there's just not that much of a difference anymore um it used to be that uber and lyft were much more personable and friendly and comfortable Mm -hmm. And that the taxi drivers were just kind of impersonal and just sort of like get in, drive you somewhere. And, you know, every so often you get like the nice one. But mm -hmm. um, and, and the homey feeling of the ride shares was what people liked about Uber yeah. and Lyft. Um, right. and, and like, for instance, Generation Z, my daughter, like <laughs> I saw this this girl on TikTok recently saying, how did you guys manage older people? Like if you were wondering about an actor's name and how did you manage, like you couldn't look it up or you couldn't go on Google and you couldn't Google it. How did you manage before that? Or how did you manage before you had maps and navigation? Like, how did you know where to go? Like, did you just, you know, it was just so it's, funny that it's horrific when you think about it, but I'll, I, my answer is, well, that we, everybody had to either had to buy a Thomas brothers, map and, and, and look it up in this big thickly, which you had to keep in your glove compartment, right? Well, what they don't realize, unfortunately, is that um, the, all of that that we had to do all of these hundreds of years helped mm -hmm. us get bigger and stronger and smarter brains. If you take that away and you let AI do everything, that's the singularity. Then the humans are becoming stupider and the AIs, like for instance, you know, she should she should understand that smartphones are not going to always be there for you. You're going to get lost at some point. Your your phone's going to die. You're going to be stuck in the middle of nowhere. You're going to have to know how to get out of that. Mm -hmm. um, 
hopefully they're resourceful. I don't know. But, um, but I just thought it was funny that my daughter's life involves things like uh, Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber and mm-hmm. stuff and text messaging. Everything is so immediate. They get it right now. And we didn't have that at all. And, you know, mm-hmm. we were like, you know, if we're drunk at a party, you know, you have, you either have to drive home or get somebody, you know what I mean? Like now yeah, they just, yeah. they just Uber, no parking mm-hmm. problems, whatever. It's all done right. electronically. They barely even notice that they spent the money. So we sound like a couple of old, old fogies saying, you know what happened, you know what it was like back then? It was harder, but it built character and it made you develop your resources to survive. And it, and you're yeah. being weakened by all these easy, accessible apps and options. Well, I'll tell you this, with I can say with it, well, imagine, imagine yourself, take, a, take an image in your head of going all the way up a hill to the top and then going all the way down the hill. We're, we, we were part of the part of getting to the top of the hill. And now Mm -hmm. we're at the top of the hill. I'm not saying we're going downhill. I'm saying our culture, our society, because we've become so fragile, wherein Mm -hmm. one word can send people cascading into hysterics and and mental collapse. (laughs) I mean, imagine that, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I always think of, I always think of General uh, Patton or or MacArthur, these guys, they were so tough, man. They were so tough. Patton. Mm -hmm. Patton was a real, like, not a very nice guy. And neither was Churchill and stuff. And, and you can't really build grit by being n- nice and accommodating. And, you know. When we were talking briefly before I signed off, I said that I had uh, just listened to Carville and Marr on the latest Club Random. And I said it was one of the best that, they, that he has done, that Club Random has had ever. And it's really, uh, it's really worth catching. I take it you haven't had the time, or mm. but it really is good. It really is. Uh, I'm not sure it, how much I can take of that, honestly. But what? Because you don't like James Carville? I like James Carville. I think he's funny. I like him in uh, Primary Colors. I think <laughs> I think he's a okay. good character in that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm not good with Trump derangement syndrome, and uh, it, it bothers me. Because I see people who who are afflicted with it as being yeah. Let's weak. let's be a little more supportive of poor Trump. He's yeah, let's, not let's poor Trump. Him, let's give him a break, you know. No, no, nice not talk. that, not that. But but this this exaggerated version of this character that that is invented by the left is the part that I have trouble with. Just that that ongoing delusion living yeah, in. Yeah, he delusion. doesn't foam at the mouth so much, you know. He just foams a little bit at the mouth. Let's, no, just tell me if you really want to go there. <laughs> let me ask you: What's the worst thing Trump? What's the worst thing Trump ever did? The worst oh, thing. And we you, shouldn't do this. Exactly. We Whenever shouldn't. I ask you that, you back right off. I say, tell me, how is Trump there's like no, Hitler? There's no point. There's no point. There isn't. It, 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 it's okay. Listen, here's what was, I'll, I'll just read you a brief thing. Carville says, well, you know, you're right that in recent, you know, what Mars said is that, uh, that Nikki Haley, who I understand you and respect that you don't, you're wary of her because you feel she's kind of a, uh, a hawkish person in terms of foreign affairs. She's a you know warmonger, mm-hmm. and uh, and Mars' point was that Nikki Haley is one of is another. This is as good as it gets. Republican, you know, it's not oh, going to get any better than Republican candidates like her. There is no imaginary Alan Alda from the West Wing Republican, you know. Oh God! And and, and Carville says you're right in that recently. Well, the Republicans have stupid voters, and he says. Mar said, "Well, yeah. this is why that why they hate you. You just said stupid voters, and I, I like to channel everybody's side. And they're basically saying, yeah, okay, maybe we're stupid, 
but do you think you're doing stupid things in your own way, like pregnant men? That's what they say, and I, and I get that. Mm-hmm. In response to which, Carville says, well, look, about 10% or 11% of Democrats describe themselves as progressive liberals, survey after survey. And these people are annoying, silly, and most people don't know what they're talking about. And the number of MAGA people among Republicans is 65%. So we pay, Democrats pay a greater price for 10% of our membership than much worse than Republicans pay for 65% of their people. The identity people, Carville says, on the left are silly. They're not evil, they're just goofy. The original woke term came from a black jazz musician, you know what I'm talking about here, who was born in Shreveport and died in Houston. And he basically said we should be awoke to the social conditions that we're actually living, where, where the cops are coming from. You know, we all thought that was great. But then, then what happened is that overeducated coastal white people got hold of the term and they completely fucked it up and pissed everybody off in the country. If we could just get the faculty at Amherst to shut the fuck up, we'd be a lot better off. It's not so that, happening. That, it's too late. That, it's too late. It's too been, late. It's already happened. This has been in progress for a very long time, and it's it's the roots have grown throughout the entire left. There's mm-hmm. no there's only taking them out of power. There is no fixing the left right now. There's only building outside of it, building a new counterculture, putting in a different government. They will not fix themselves because, as I told you, they they have broken with reality. Yes, completely. There's no reality to be had on the left. And I, I look at it sometimes and no, I think... No, don't say the left. Say, you know, the progressive woke left. That's like 10 No, I don't even think it's just them. I disagree with you on that. I think it's everybody that, that isn't a dissident like you. I even put Bill Maher in that pile because he is almost there, but he's not quite there. I'm not saying that you have to talk about Trump or even put Trump in the conversation at all. I'm talking about at least Bill Maher is sort of edging a little... Like he interviewed... Kid Rock on his show, for instance. That's a, that's a great thing. So let's move on to a different subject. You and I can argue privately about this some other time. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I uh, did a whole thing about thanks when you sent me the uh, coup de chance uh, uh, post from Witt Stillman in Paris about how it's going to open in soon on September 27th. And I was just thinking... You know, I understand if they, if the, if the, uh, if the haters, the Woody haters, insist mm. on no theatrical, you know. Yeah. But why is it they have to insist on no streaming? Why are they, why are the distributors so chicken shit and and irrationally afraid of the anti Woody crowd? When most people don't feel that way, and but they're afraid anyway. It just seems wrong. I understand if they want the symbol, the symbolism of no theatrical opening for a bad person who may have uh, molested his daughter back in 1992. I understand that. But it's not the end of the world to, to, uh, to accept that, you know, we could at least stream it. I, I would really like to see this movie. I just think it's really a shitty climate that they insist, you know. I mean, they, they've got people so intimidated. You can't, even Julie Hunsaker, she can't show it at her festival. You know, it's just a, a drag. I just really am just... I'm very dismissive dismissive of these people. I think they're really Mm. awful. Yeah. Well, I feel the same way too. But, and, you know, as usual, there's nothing to replace what they've taken away on the left. Um, There's no good comedy. There's no good writing. There's no, every so often something comes through, like the holdovers, which is really, really good. Mm -hmm. Um, And Barbie, I would say, is pretty good, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
thank goodness and Oppenheimer I like all these movies I'm not saying that but it is a desert you know what I mean yeah um it's a desert and and it's a shame that they won't but you know what would happen if they did these, these what would guys, happen if they they did what if the theater showed it oh yeah well I know they can't do that but I don't see why streaming I'd like to see the Polanski with a decent English subtitle what's the problem man well, you it's might have to choice. move to Europe then, because here the the Puritans have taken over, yeah, and they they are so you know they're so good at it because they have this whole machine at their fingertips now. They have mm-hmm. social media, they have journalists who will write their dumb stories about it, mm-hmm. and they just have to throw a fit, and a bunch of people right. will join their fit, and then it'll turn into some headline, mm-hmm. you know, and and they go behind the scenes as as you saw. I don't know if you watched that Dave Portnoy thing that I um. Did I send that to you? I can't remember. Um, so Dave Portnoy was, I don't know if you know who he is. He runs this thing called Barstool Sports. He's, okay. he's one of these Joe Rogan types. Okay. Um, he's sort of on the outside. Um, and they tried to meet to him at one point, I think. But at any rate, he, he, mm-hmm. somebody sent him an email that said, the Washington Post is doing a story on you. And um, mm-hmm. I'll post this on the page so people can see it if they haven't seen it. And we, uh, um, the Washington Post just contacted me as an advertiser for your pizza party that you're having. Mm-hmm. He, he was re- hosting some sort of fundraiser, um, and all these advertisers were going to be spending money on it. And the Washington Post was going around calling all the advertisers to get a comment on advertising for Dave Portnoy and saying, In other words, are you going to bail or are you going to risk your Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life? No, and he and he yeah. called the reporter and he got it on tape and he said, mm-hmm. um, I hear that you're writing this story about me and you called me a misogynist and you said that I'm, you know, this terrible person to all these advertisers. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and you never called me for comment. I don't understand why you're doing that. You're a journalist. And mm-hmm. it's this great conversation between this journalist and him. And is, told, the, is the journalist a woman? Yeah. And he totally calls her out on it. But it's, it's a glimpse into how the machine works, right? Like they, if you're wondering why it's like such and such dropped from this, you know, advertising or this name dropped or this person mm-hmm. dropped, it's because people, little busybodies are working behind the scenes, contacting all the advertisers and studios like they did with you, actually. Yeah. They did right. this to you. They all worked mm-hmm. behind the scenes to get you fired or, you know, whatever it was to get you removed from the list to be able to attend certain film festivals and things right. like that. Mm-hmm. That's how they do it because they know that, that corporations don't want to be embarrassed publicly. So they can just go behind the scenes and they can say AMC or Lowe's or whoever it is that's going to uh, distribute the film or show the film, you know, how do you know you're, you're going to be platforming a rapist a child rapist. Um, is that what you want to do? So it's not so much their decision as who's it is. The John, who's the alleged child rapist? Woody Allen. He didn't rape anybody. I'm it's, telling the you what they will is, say. Is molestation, not rape. Doesn't matter. He, That's, you but it think doesn't that, matter. No, it doesn't. Do, do, do you think that they talk about Woody Allen like that? Do you think that... About making a distinction? Yeah. Well, I know that the people from Variety during the the twenty twenty one or twenty two can claim they they actually in print referred to being a rapist, and he's not he's never been accused of that. Exactly, That's never. That's my point. Is that they, mm. I'm not saying what the truth is. I'm saying what they would call and say. Mm. You know, they would call and say, "This is you know you you plan to show this guys. We, we just want a statement from you, and then you get a story in you know Hollywood or or 
reporter Variety about mm-hmm. them showing Woody Allen's film, and it's just too much of a headache for them. You know, they don't mm-hmm. want to deal with it, so they just they just opt out. You know, they're cowards, but they have no real reason to do it. They know it's not going to make a lot of money. You know, it's not. It could make a, a reasonable profit, as most as many of his films have since. The high point, I think the last one that really did really well was Midnight in Paris in 2012. Uh, his movies have never been huge moneymakers. The, the only time he was a serious moneymaker was back in the Annie Hall Manhattan heyday, mm. right? Well, uh, it'll, it'll show up um, on streaming at some point, probably. Yes, I, I imagine there'll be a bootleg stream uh, opportunity that at least I know of one that I can get it as soon as it starts uh, showing up. So yeah. that that's one option. But it seems like, like a drag that you have to go to all that trouble just to stream a movie. I just don't. Mm. It's so tedious and so suffocating. But, awful. you know, they're going to win because it's exhausting to keep fighting them. It's exhausting to take a stand. It's exhausting to write essays. It's exhausting to fight back. And sooner or later, everybody just gives up because they're too tired to continue to fight it. That's how I feel about it, you know. And so they just give up, and then they win. There's well, no fighting. A, that's it. a very, very dismaying uh, attitude about about ugly, awful people out there to say, "Well, they're awfully persistent, and it's so hard to fight them. Why not just give up and let?" No, them I didn't say that. Run. You you added that in. I didn't say why not just give up. Okay. I said most people are going to just give up because it's too exhausting to keep fighting it. Okay. That's what I'm saying. And, okay. you know, um, the best thing you can do in today's climate is just to mm-hmm. stop caring what other people think of you. And if you can stop doing that, you take a tiny bit of the fear, fear away mm-hmm. from other people. And, and, and it'll spread. And one by one, you know, like today I wrote a thing on Twitter about how I'll never forgive the Democratic Party for pushing out Al Franken. And no, I know that, that that's, that's a Truly pretty, awful. you know, it might get me shit to say it or, you know, whatever I say on Twitter, I have mm-hmm. to just throw the bomb and walk away because I know that people are going to come, come after me. But if you don't see what they say, then you never know that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what people have to practice doing. They have to practice being resilient and being brave and saying what you really think and suffering the consequences. If it doesn't mean you're going to lose your job or money or whatever like that, you know. Mm. Uh, so we were going to jump into um, the uh, very serious concerns everywhere, really, that that Biden can't win given his poll numbers. He's in the you know low forties, uh, mid forties, um, and and against Nikki Haley's, he's at 42 and she's at 40. Of course, that's just a speculative mm. uh, the game's full. But still, he's really, really not looking good. And everybody, uh, Carville was saying yesterday that if you really boil it down, it's, it's between like 72, 73 percent, including Democrats, don't want him to run. And yet he's going to run anyway. It's, it's there's something really crazy uh, that that people are just saying, well, yeah, but he's. And he'll be 86 when he's finished uh, his second term. This is this is nuts. This is not wise, uh, I think, from the from the position of people who are centrist, sensible centrist, sensible liberals, sense sensible left, not crazy left, but sensible left. It's nuts. There's no that, that, no. There is no sensible left anymore. 
the, well, the, the craziness true, is... I am a sensible person who doesn't matter. The, the, the left it doesn't all my matter. life. I don't identify very much now, but I do see myself as a center leftist, and I can't stand wokesters, and I can't stand doesn't matter. fanatics. But but you can't say nobody on the left is, is sane or sensible. That's crazy. Well, I'll tell you, it's the fanaticism has swallowed up the party. The only person I've seen shown any courage whatsoever was Gavin Newsom when he vetoed that. Yeah, bill. that was pretty impressive. I agree. And that, that his his image rose in my eyes after I saw him do that because mm -hmm. I didn't think he would. And I had yeah. I even wrote to him on Twitter, sad as it is. I'm sure you didn't see it, but I said, "Go ahead, Gavin, sign that bill, and it will ruin your career. Do it." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he didn't. And it took courage for him to do that. And that's right. the kind of leadership we need is people who will stand up. I the fact that the Democrats, Joe Biden, has Rachel Levine and the highest uh, who is advising him on what to do with gender affirming care, to me, is the end of the Democratic Party. Because she's a fanatic. I don't really know who she is. I'm but that's that's the it. president, Rachel Levine, the transgender person who he hired to be a head of the health services, you know, whatever it is that she does. Oh, there. I say she herself is transgender. She's okay. yeah, she, Rachel Levine. She's a famous. I right. think her name's Rachel Levine. Isn't mm -hmm. it? Um, she, you know, and, and the fact that he's taking advice from her and the fact that Kamala Harris and everybody at the top is going mm -hmm. along with this, that mm -hmm. tells me there's no future with them. They haven't confronted it at all. Gavin Newsom's thing was a tiny, tiny little step into the right direction, but he's still supportive of all of it. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that tells me that there is no sensible left because this isn't even being discussed in the party right now. Right. It's becoming like abortion. It's becoming a thing that you have to stand on their side with. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, then you're, you know, you're, you're, a dis you're a bad person. And that's dangerous for yeah. it to be there, right? Right. So and that, that's my problem with them is that they can't, they, they, they can't see the big picture of this medical scandal that's going on right now, you know. I think if, if Joe had the character and the courage and the, and the decency and the, and the practical uh, attitude that he should have, if he could say, just say, I'm going to let it go, I'm not going to run in 24, that yeah. way he only frees us from having to like, oh my God, an 86-year-old guy running who's obviously declining and he's going to be much worse as the years go on. It's just natural. It's the way I, life I, is. I 100% you know? agree. But here's the problem with Joe Biden stepping down is that Kamala Harris will get the nomination. No, wait a minute. Why does she have to get the nomination? Because she just will. They have it's a... just, she just hands her the, the scepter. And, okay, it's yours. You, you're the new president. It doesn't work that way. Well, I mean, she if they want to open it up. It I think I personally think he should step down. And I think that that. All of them should compete. Pete, Gavin, yeah. uh, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth that, Warren. Exactly. And you, you know, know what would happen if it, it was just an open competition? She would probably do as well as she did in the, 19, in the 2020 primary, which is not very well. Well, except for out. one really horrible part of this awful yeah. situation on the left now mm -hmm. is that the establishment stood behind Biden and the establishment stood behind Hillary and the establishment is going to stand behind Kamala Harris. Jim Clyburn, people like that. So I don't know. I, I look, I'm not a fortune teller on that. But score. they're not. But that's the, the democratic process of fighting it out in the primaries. Jim Clyburn doesn't tell people how to vote. I mean, it's just a, it's well, a he basically, procedure, you know, he all but told them how to vote when during the primaries, when um, 
when Joe Biden was, you know, it was going to be Bernie Sanders. But Clyburn's endorsement of Biden is what, um, now I was a Biden supporter, so I, I was happy about that because I thought, I didn't think Bernie could beat Trump. Now I have no idea if he could or not, but mm. I don't think that, um, I thought that, I only thought, I thought only Biden could beat him at the time. But what mm -hmm. I didn't know back then, what I was worried about as I was writing you and, and another mm -hmm. friend of ours heading into the election was that the Democrats had already gone so crazy. I was already worried about that fanaticism heading into the mm. election. And, and right. you both said to me, well, it's better than Trump. And I agreed and I voted for Biden, but I, part of my mind was going, wait a second, this is bad. This is really bad. This is getting worse and worse. What are we voting for? What are we about to put into power? And we saw what we were about to put into power. So now, you know, we're stuck in this situation of, where they still have to sell this to the American public, this this fanaticism, and I don't know if it's going to work. Biden and I mean uh, Mar and Carver were both saying that Biden is like the dad sitting there watching football game, and his wife is telling him, uh, "Honey, the the kids want to cut their penises off, and they want to <laughs> topple over st statues of Abraham Lincoln." Exactly. You know, and he's exactly. like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever. That's the kids. You know, what am I going to do about? It? Leave me alone. Exactly. I want to watch the game." Oh my God, that's so true. And then they get in trouble for saying that, but I'm not, that's no joke, that's the status quo. And it's almost even worse than that. Like they had mm -hmm. a meeting about taking the, <laughs> I'm not kidding when I say this, taking the George Washington statue out of New York, out of City Hall or something like that. The George... I can remember that. Yeah, I don't know what happened with that, but I have a recollection of that being a thing. For, yeah. For, because and, he was a slave owner. Well, they already at... took out the Thomas Jefferson one. Yeah. So, you know, if you're America can't be like torn down to the studs and rebuilt as a the obelisk of woke. And that's what they seem to want to do. And the mm -hmm. problem is they're all cowards. They won't stand up other than Gavin Newsom, who shockingly did. Mm -hmm. They won't stand up to to the to the leaders of the party or the party or the activists. So mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. But but I, I do agree with you that if he was an honest man, he would stand down. He knows he can't he can't govern right now he's not capable of it i just it really is nobody wants their great grandfather running things they just don't it's just if you have a grandfather or a great grandfather you know what they're like you've helped them up you see what they're like going downstairs you listen to them you talk to them about stuff you know that they're half the things that you say they're not even getting what you're saying it's just people understand this very on a very uh, fundamental organic level if they know yeah. anything about old if people if they need any if they have any you know, if they want any chance of, of winning, of beating Trump, they need mm -hmm. these fresh young voices out there. These people like Pete and people like Gavin Newsom standing exactly. at the mic, giving right. fiery speeches that Joe Biden can't give anymore. He just can't. He just, he never could, was a great speech, maker, but he really can't speak. When I listen to him give a speech, I kind of like almost put my hands over my ears. I can't take it. He has no gift, you know. Obama had the gift. JFK no, had the Biden gift. He doesn't, doesn't have, have it. it. I know. I feel terrible too about that, actually. But he mm. doesn't have it, and he and he can't do it. And 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 he's if he's going to be going up against Trump again, there's not going to be COVID. There's not going to be all that stuff that was there in 2020. And, and I really hate it. But you're, you know, what Trump has, and which I despise about charisma. life and God. He's got snap. He's got vitality, even though he's almost as old as 
Biden. But he he's he's aging withered. aging backwards. I just saw him in a, at an appearance today, and I was like, "What is that guy drinking? Like he looks like he's ten years younger." And he gives really good entertaining speeches and Biden yep. can't do that. So they have mm -hmm. to match fire with fire. They need somebody like, I mean, other than the transgender thing, which I know Pete would be, is probably fully on board with, which mm -hmm. I, I really hope he wasn't. I think he's the best speaker that they have in the Democratic Party right now is Pete He's Bush. absolutely brilliant. He's brilliant and he's, he has spirit. He understands everything. I also think that, that if it came down to it, I think that, you know, Gavin would be a much better candidate against Trump. But was it? I think they were saying yesterday that that um, Biden is the only guy that Trump could beat. You know, he's the only one that they, if any of those people have with any gumption, with any smarts, with any you know power in in their soul, the, he wouldn't win against. Well, them. you have but to he, ask. He, you have to ask yourself. This is why it's so hard for Democrats to figure this this problem out. Because first of all, you can't figure out why Trump at all, right? You don't understand the Trump thing. You don't understand why he's, he's popular to people. But here's the thing that's happening with the Democrats. You have to solve the problem. What's the problem right now? Well, Pete Buttigieg would get up there and he'd start talking about climate change and he'd be talking about restoring the soul of America and decency. And I think that's all good. And then mm -hmm. Gavin Newsom would get up there and he'd start talking about fascism on the right, book burning, Trump is bad, all these people are terrible. We want to let love win. Well. Any honest person knows the Democrats and the left are not defined by love anymore. That is not what's driving that party, whatever it is. It's fanaticism. It's a lot of hatred to the other side. It's legalizing shoplifting. It's all that. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Preg preg pregnant men. Everything. It's <laughs> pregnant men. It's the reversed hierarchy. It's all that stuff. It's the patriarchy's yeah. bad. Poor men. Men don't, you know. Right. But the real problem is the economy stupid it's always going to be that so these guys gavin and pete and anybody who wants to run they've got to solve that problem they've got to sell the americans on gavin newsom has california's record um to go on on that i don't know how people would see that but i know a lot of people see california as like basically the so the soviet union right mm. now let's let's switch over for the final third of this thing and uh, i did a thing yesterday about scott feinberg's picks of the best actors the leading actors and actresses i'll just go down item by item my opinion about the actor and right. actress front runners and then you take your turn and then we'll go back to my thing okay we'll but we also that, have right? to talk about the strike if you want to talk about that or if you think that's just too boring to talk about well, I think it's wonderful that it's over. I, I'd like to see the actors come back. I don't know what the situation is with the actors, but had, it hasn't been actually ratified, but apparently it, it's going to be ratified, right? Mm -hmm. The WGA, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. So I guess people are happy about that. Um, mm -hmm. That's all you... I mean, the, the problem with the strike is it's just not that interesting to talk about. So It I, went on for so long. People were very <laughs> upset about it. I don't think it's great. But, I mean, yes, we finally get to have the Bill Maher show back on and we get to have... Drew Barrymore with her writers and all the rest of it. So it just it went on for too long, in, in my opinion. And there was a strong belief amongst some people that I've spoken to that the Writers uh, Guild negotiators were intractable and, and, and obnoxious and, and combative in a needless way. They weren't constructive. And they prolonged it. Uh, now, that's mm. not what you're going to hear from another side. They're going to say the producers are just saying, fuck these guys. Let's just sweat them out. Let's make them lose their homes, make them force them to live in their cars. And, and then they'll give in. That, so I, I see both sides, but I still think it went on too damn long. Yeah. 
I think it went on, in my opinion, too damn long only because, you know, at this particular moment, it just, it's just felt like a little like, mm, I don't know, fiddling while Rome burns kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. I, because I, th I, feel, I feel like the, the industry is just barely clinging to survival at the moment. And it was like the worst time to strike. But I understand why yeah. they did it and blah, 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 you know. They wanted to strike during the um, uh, pandemic uh, period, which is about a year and a half, year and three quarters. But they couldn't because of the pandemic. So when it finally lifted, they, they chose this time. And I don't know the inner workings that much, but I know that there was a lot of Jesus, why are these guys going to like, you know, why can't you just stay in a room? And if I don't care if it's how uncomfortable, bring sleeping bags, sleep on the floor, but figure this out, you know, this this like, we're not going to talk to you and fuck you, you know, that that's not constructive. And a lot of people got hurt. I'm talking about the people that survive off the industry being in business in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Cruel. Like all the people Very. that that Bill Maher and Drew Barrymore wanted to take care of when they brought back their shows. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, everybody, we all have to kind of, we all have to eat. We we need to buy gasoline. We need to be able to get around and have some sort of semblance of a life. And I just think it's, it's cruel. The ultimate cruel people were, are of course, the producers. They're, they're yeah. bastards. They're truly bastards. And you're not going to change the nature of those people. They're, they're users, they're takers, they're exploiters. And they see themselves as masters, you know, masters of the universe, whatever. They don't give a shit at all. But I don't know how to change that. I don't know how to. What are you going to do? Tie them to a post and whip them ceremoniously? Uh, you know. <laughs> well, the problem is, is that you know, it is it is a bunch of people fighting for the scraps of a dying industry, and yeah. and the producers and all. Everybody's making you know a lot of money on streaming, but these guys are also in Netflix and and Hulu and Paramount. Mm -hmm. All these big streamers, they're all fighting for their piece of the pie. You know, and mm -hmm. the American consumer, like we can only afford so many subscriptions you know what i mean like yeah. cable is over to 200 a month and then you buy all these additional subscriptions you end up spending like 500 a month on this shit you know amazon just announced a uh, on top of if you want to avoid commercials on amazon you have to go up three dollars a month in other words it's going to be like 1750 rather than 1450 mm. they're edging their way up to 20 bucks a month you know and everybody starts doing that you start going this is Man, I don't know. I can't do all this. I know, yeah. same. And I, I'm, you know, for me, it's all a write-off. It's all a tax write-off because it's all part of the the job. So that's the only upside to it, and that's mm -hmm. the only reason I haven't quit a lot of these things. Um, but mm -hmm. when you look at that, and you look at all the other subscriptions, and then you know, you look at basic cable just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, times are changing, and yeah. so I'm not I'm not anti-strike or anti-worker or whatever. I just felt like it, it's a really weird thing to. I mean, I guess that's what unions do. Unions protect the workers, so good for them. Mm. But um, I don't know what the actors, you know, when the actors are going to be done. But I do know that that Hollywood is just barely, barely holding on, trying to survive. And the box office tanked this last weekend again. Um, along with as long as the actors are out, the the industry is still shut down. So it's it's good that one strike is over. But thing, I don't know even what prospects for for the actors who knows yeah because the difference That's... between oppenheimer and barbie was that they had their people mm. out doing publicity and so their mm. movies made a lot of money but all the movies that came after them didn't have that don't have that opportunity none of them mm. so, anyway. speaking of actors let's switch over to all this right thing. for a best actor front runners 
And my choice among the Scott's uh, top five or six is right now Paul Giamatti. And here's what I said in the holdovers. Uh, my opinion is that it's a masterful, onion-peeled, drop-by-drop performance of an unhappy older fellow with a snappy tongue, a history press professor humming with resentment, uh, <laughs> sad and smart and as honest as performances of this type get. So what is your opinion about Giamatti right now? I think he's the, the, the guy who, it's his Oscar to lose. That's my opinion. Oh, I would love for that to be true. I would mm -hmm. love to see him win for that. Yeah. He's so good in it. Uh, but, you know, even if he gets nominated, that'll be his first lead nomination. You know, when you tell people, you know, he didn't even get nominated for Sideways. I know. And people go, no, no, he couldn't. That couldn't have happened. Yes, it did. It's shocking, but true. And why didn't he get nominated, do you feel, in, in 05 or rather? Yeah, well, early 05. Is let me look it up. Um, so I, I think Killian Murphy is is the lead. Wait, wait, wait. Let's we don't drop. I'm asking why didn't I know I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. Give me a second. Um, I'm asking about sideways. Why didn't he get nominated? I know. We'll and I'm looking it up. It's taking me a minute. I had to go on IMDb oh. and look. Well, it up. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because I was up in Santa Barbara and he was at a restaurant that I was at. It was uh, called Olio e Limone. Uh, beautiful Italian restaurant and we were over just talking and he was there with some friends and I said that I got a sense that and this is from the old biddies in the academy that they didn't like the scene where his character uh, Miles goes upstairs and steals money from his oh, that's right. cupboard <laughs> and I think I think that on some level they just really didn't like that so they wanted to vote against him or prefer somebody else and Paul Giamatti listening to my theory I said I don't know anything Paul I'm just saying I sense that and he went damn damn <laughs> because that was just a, a decision that he made and I thought it was great it was a great character bit that he would steal money from his mother well no it's in the book it's, it's in the book yeah. too it's just done oh, it in is? a really well in the book she's she's very rich the mom Okay. And um, and she has this dog, and in the book he has to he has to scale underneath the bed and open a trap door and get. All... <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but in the movie, it's it, Alexander Payne made her this kind of sad, tra you know, yeah, sad downtrodden woman in a you know sleep in a, in a condo and sleeping in front of the TV and yeah. you know. It's so realistic, though. It's such a good movie. Oh God, I love that movie so much, and I love the fact that he steals. Uh, the money and and when i was exchanging tweets with rex pickett the guy who wrote the book um mm -hmm. i had made a comment about sideways and i said yeah a couple of losers driving up and he got so mad at me for referring to them as losers both those characters and i said uh -huh. but losers in a good way i didn't mean it in a mean way i mean that you know and i said well mm -hmm. what kind of a guy steals money from his mother on her birthday <laughs> that's not exactly a winner <laughs> And another guy who's trying to sleep with as many women as possible before he gets married. I mean, <laughs> these aren't exactly shining examples of of uh, of good people. But speaking of anyway. Rex Pickett, by the way, I just want to throw another very small antidote. Tatiana and I were in Rada in Chianti in Tuscany in seventeen, I believe it was, uh, after uh, Cannes, and we were staying at this little. Uh, this wonderful vin uh, uh, vineyard, vineyard 
and we were staying in a little cottage that was rented to us reasonably by this guy named Paul, who looked exactly like Spiel- Steven Spielberg, and he informed us that Rex Pickett had stayed there also. Oh, wow. Back same place, and he was, you know, the sideways guy, and he knew the whole thing. They had pictures yeah, no, and he, and his whole career is sideways, and it's funny, because I was very good friends with him on Twitter until I said that, and then we weren't friends anymore. <laughs> isn't that, such, angry, a, isn't huh? that yeah. such a sideways thing for... Um, but the book is very different from the movie because in the book, Miles isn't really a loser. Uh, in the movie, he is. In the book, he's more like, uh, you know, a jock, a handsome, tough guy. Uh, like more like Rex Pickett himself, probably. He's not a, he's yes, not a he's, schlubby. Miles is a, is, is a, um, uh, a moral person. He's, he's, he's unfortunately missed. Maybe he's not gifted enough to be a real writer, but he's a good person <laughs> who is appalled at his friend Jack's behavior. Uh, playing around and having his last weekend where he can get laid and have before he gets married. But all a lot of guys think like this. Oh. But he is Miles is disgusted by him and he's and he's like rolling his eyes and everything. Yeah, but, so but I, the beauty of not, that is not the movie. The best thing about Sideways is it's not a moral judgment movie. That's the exact yeah. opposite of what it is, and that's why it's so great because both right. of them are people who have their own moral standards in their own way and and judge the other person harshly like. Uh, hmm. Jack judges Miles for being, you know, we got to get your bones smooched. You know, like he wants. <laughs> don't he wants go to the dark side. <laughs> don't go to the, the dark, dark side. side. <laughs> don't fuck this up for me, Miles. Yeah, don't fuck this up for me. <laughs> oh, and the 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 relationship. Yeah, like so in their relationship, Miles is the is the dumb, you know, friend, and he's the he's the hot successful guy, and. They play mm-hmm. these roles, but they're, they, they, each of them has a, a, you know, a big flaw that they're struggling with. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a great movie, and unfortunately, they don't make them like that anymore. Um, except when they do, when they make the movies like The Holdovers. Yes. Uh, which the is, the Holdovers know, is pretty much cut from the same cloth, and that's really one of the... I just can't wait for it to start penetrating and people start talking about it. There's no, there's no putting it down except to say, ah, it doesn't really feel like it's part of our world. It's a 50-year-old movie that mm-hmm. was made in 2021, 22, and it's not really a 21st century movie. It's a 1970s movie. I said, yeah, it is. But it's so good in that context. And, you know, for God's sake, everything have to be, you know, an immediate experience of the 2023 world. I, I don't see that, that as necessary or even, you know, even even desired, really. I think a film has to be what it is. So it's, it's wonderful, I think. All right. So, so, so in, your feeling about Giamatti amongst wait, the Wait, wait, wait. I didn't finish. So oh, the reason ahead. that he didn't... I mean, I think you're right about the cat thing. I mean, the, uh, the money thing. Mm-hmm. I was thinking cat because, remember, nobody forgave Lewin Davis for leaving the cat in the car. And inside Lewin Davis, remember that? I thought the cat uh, walked off and, and, and went, went into the bushes or something. He couldn't find it. No, Isn't he that... leaves the cat in the car at, at one point in the movie. And I think a lot of people were turned off by that. And that's why they think it didn't do well the Oscars. Um, because he le- just left the cat there. And, you know. I think that uh, it, that's one thing that people will not tolerate, and that's cruelty to animals. No, and never. I, I understand it. it. It's not rational in, in a dramatic sense, but I understand it, and um, I have the same reactions. It takes mm. you out. Um, anyway, the actors that year in 2004, and you, when I read these two, you're going to under, you know, you see why there's not really room for mm. Paul. 
Uh, Jamie Foxx won for Ray that year. Also nominated was Don Cheadle for Hotel Rwanda. That wasn't that great. That was okay. Leonardo DiCaprio for The Aviator. That's, not, again, not one of his greatest. Clint Eastwood, mean... Million Dollar Baby, which won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Depp, Finding Neverland. That wasn't that great either. It really wasn't. You look back, none of those performances really are like, oh, I so love that. That was so great when well, Leonardo DiCaprio sounded like an Oklahoma sharecropper playing Howard Hughes with that twangy voice of his. That wasn't enjoyable. That wasn't like... That didn't uh, lift me up and make me feel good about being a movie lover at all. Well, four, let's see, four out of five of these movies are best picture contenders. And the only yeah. one that isn't is Hotel Rwanda, and it's in Sideways Place. So you can kind of figure that Don Cheadle took Paul, Paul Giamatti's place mm-hmm. because Don Cheadle's character was good. Yeah, and, it was good. And good Don film. Cheadle is very well liked in the industry. And, mm-hmm. um, and, Paul Giamatti. Paul, you know, people love working with him, as we saw from that Alexander. I don't know if you saw Alexander Payne and Telluride, but he gave that wonderful Q&A. And he was talking about Paul and everybody was saying how great it is to work with him, that he's just such an actor's actor. But Mm -hmm. I interviewed him once and it was the only interview where I was just like, this is such a nightmare. I have to get off the phone. Because he was temperamental and and testy with you, right? He was. He didn't want to give the interview. And obviously his publicist had told him he had to. Yeah. And his answers were just one word answers. And mm-hmm. and I was just in a really weird like situation because I was just like, so tell me what it was like working on Cinderella Man. It was fine. You know anyway, what I when people do that, and that's happened to me a lot, I can sense that they just don't give a shit. They're just gonna they're gonna discourage me from even wanting to interview them. What you do is just flip off all the typical questions and just start talking about anything that'll get them talking. And yeah. if you drop that whole thing, they're so sick of answering those 10 or 15 questions that all the people were asked. Then they start loosening up a little bit. No, I know. But this was maybe the second interview I'd ever done since I started my website. Yeah. And it was I was all the way back in the guest house in Van Nuys when Emma was a baby. That's how long ago this was. <laughs> so okay. it's really hard for me to I mean, she was just really young. At this mm. time, and um, mm. you know, I think it was Tony Angelotti was the publicist, and and uh, and I did it because as a favor mm. to him, I did the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just saying, like, I didn't know anything. I wasn't a journalist. I, you know, I just started this website mm-hmm. <laughs> and was pretending to be a journalist, so I had no idea what to do. You know, my sister mm. would send me questions because she worked in publicity. You know, what should you ask him? And I had a list, and and that, you know. Obviously, mm-hmm. as you say, once he heard those questions, he was just like, what a huge waste of time yeah. this is. I'm not going to bother with this. I don't, you know, I'm a serious actor. I don't have time for this Oscar publicity. Right. But anyway, I'm, what I took from that was, okay, so maybe he doesn't suffer fools. Maybe he isn't a glad handler. Maybe he isn't, right. you know, a, a Mr. Popular in the industry. I don't know if he is or not, but usually that's what drives the Oscar race behind the scenes is how much people like you. Yes. That's true. It's how much, uh, how willing you are to press the flesh and be a politician. Yeah. And there are some like Bill Murray who does, they're not very good at that and they don't give a shit. So that's why they don't uh, want Exactly. It. So, yeah. and yeah, exactly. Okay. So do your list now. Didn't you say you had a okay. list? Okay. Now the ones that I don't think are at the top, like Paul Giamatti are starting from my, my list here, uh, Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer. And my opinion is I realize he's a likely nominee, hmm. but, and this is really true. You have to, he wears the same chili 
cold-eyed alien from Bethelgeese expression in every single scene. And after, after a while, he just gets sick of it. He's gonna, he's not going to do anything else but look at people with that odd, chilly, cold-eyed expression. And that's why I, I appreciate he's going to be nominated because it's an important film. It's an admired mm. film. And he is living in that character of Robert uh, J. Robert Alpenheimer very much so. I completely believed him. But I didn't like his company, frankly. So mm. that's part of it. Well, let me look at your... I have to look at the list of the Scott Feinberg thing here so I can see. I know you put it up because I read it on your site already. But um... yeah. I just chose the ones that I think are reasonably likely which is like five or six you know and i didn't and he you know all his uh you know also hotter also possible yeah. and who knows i don't i just ignore that stuff that's just politics well my question for him is does he only predict movies that he's seen i think that's how he works well I think... apparently yes because uh i i have not seen um maestro and i haven't seen napoleon of course i haven't seen ferrari but I think he he saw most of them. I don't know if he's seen Maestro or not at the time, but uh, it certainly didn't play. Well, he has. Part, so. I think his five is pretty solid. Killian yeah. Murphy, Coleman Domingo, yeah. uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Paul Giamatti, Bradley Cooper. Bradley right. Cooper's the only one that I have my doubts about um, because of the makeup fiasco. I don't know how that's going to play. And also, there's another actor that I think has a stronger chance, and that's Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Because mm -hmm. that movie just won the audience award at right. Toronto. So right. he's got, if anything, is he going to take Coleman Domingo's place, you know? And, um, or is that racist to say? <laughs> yes, it is racist to say, but that's how everybody thinks. We got to get a, a person of color in there and put the fight. And it's either, it's either Domingo or it's Jeffrey Wright. Oh, so which Lord. one do we like better? I hate that's that. That's how people think. <laughs> Maybe. But at any rate, I could I could easily predict both of them um, and take off Bradley Cooper. But Netflix is pretty right. good with their campaigning. I think they're going to have to choose between those two mm -hmm. because those are both their movies. Uh, my, my opinion of Mr. Uh, uh, Domingo is that it's very spirited in that that character. Um, uh, um, uh, why did his name just fly out of my head? It'll come back in a second. But he's playing an iconic live wire. 60s activist who was the big mover and shaker behind the March on Washington in 1963. And he conveys the spirit and he's full of kind of joy in a way, the spirit, but, he, but it's, he's so full of love and tingling energy and all, all that, that alive look in his eyes that he almost puts you to sleep because that's all he does. <laughs> oh, it's, it's like, oh, you know, I just so love being who I am who I am and I love the whole game of it and I don't care if people don't like that I'm gay I'm just going to be myself and it's fine you know but but the movie's not it does not lift up off the the launching pad it just doesn't it's All okay right. he didn't put, hate it. yeah Bayard Rustin is his name Bayard Rustin um he put can't call yet Adam Driver Ferrari Zach Efron the Iron Claw Michael Fassbender the Killer Paul Mescal Foe and Joaquin Phoenix Napoleon of those, I think Napoleon is probably the one to watch yes, for a nomination because Joaquin Phoenix, first of all, is already an Oscar winner. Second right. of all, he turns himself inside out when he plays roles. Yeah. Um, and third of all, he's playing Napoleon. So I mean, mm -hmm. there's a pretty good chance he's getting in. I keep yep. forgetting about that movie because everything's just so quiet. Like there's no publicity. They're not Nothing. on talk shows, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... That is something that to consider is him. Um, he, 
I, I, Michael Fassbender is a very cool customer, obviously, needless to say, in The Killer. Um, He's always a cool customer in almost everything he no, plays. He's not never played shame. a warm fellow, ever. Right, right, right. But he's he's very stoic, I guess is the word I'd use. Stoic. The question is, um, when, you're, when you watch the, the, the Fincher film, do you feel like you want him to come through whatever his challenges are? He's an assassin. He's, in, he's got some problems and he failed to carry out a yes, job. Yes, absolutely. But are you on his side is what I'm asking. Of course, yeah. So why are you on his side? Well, it's the Hitchcock thing. You know, Hitchcock said that when you're watching Psycho, you know, it's the nature of audiences to want to be on the side of the person they're watching. So when you're watching him bury the car in the swamp, you're not thinking, oh my God, can somebody please get the swamp? Get it. You're thinking, oh no, is the car, is the car not going to sink? It's going to get caught. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's, that's just sort of the nature of things. And I think that's the case with, with this is you're just sort of on his side. Well, first of all, it's a revenge movie, so you know he's he's avenging something that is. Um, I didn't know that part. I thought he was just being, um, they're trying to kill him because he failed to carry out an assassination. No, no, job. he has to go and kill all the people who are threatening him. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's very, uh, you know, um, mm -hmm. Fincher-esque in that. Everything is 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 strapped down. You're gonna you're gonna really like it only because you're gonna like the vibe of it and the mm. sort of sophistication of that world and the clean, neat mechanics of the film. Which is always what happens when you've got a smart director who really knows what he's doing, and he's. I love that whole thing. So and he I really does. Think. As far as the acting goes, it's it's such a competitive year that I don't I don't see how that mm -hmm. particular character can break through with when you're going up against a gay civil rights icon and. Yeah. You know, these these parts. But I think mm. <clears throat> if it isn't Killian Murphy for the win as a as a win for Oppenheimer, if Oppenheimer isn't going to win Best Picture, they're going to. You think it. he's you think he's like a possible winner, Killian Murphy? I do. Why do you think that? Because I think that when they have these big prizes at yeah. the Oscars, they divide up the number one movies. Um, they split them. So, so the big prizes are best picture, best director, best actor, best actress. And in most years, not last year, but mm -hmm. most years it's, it's the actor wins sort of the secondary prize. Um, the, the best actor hat and best picture haven't matched since, uh, 2011, the artist, all those years mm -hmm. since they split those prizes okay. with best actor getting one prize and best picture going a different way. And um, I don't know if that'll happen this year, but I assume if, if it isn't Oppenheimer, if it's Oppenheimer for Best Picture, someone else will probably win Best Actor. But if he wins Best Actor, then something else is going to win um, Best Picture. That's just sort of how I see it. That's why I have him in the, okay. in the leading role. I really, I mean, for winning that. But for me personally, it's between those two. It's between Paul Giamatti and Killian Murphy as the best performance that I saw. Okay. So. But there's no question. There's no question that the most there's most there's more empathy. There's more sympathy for Paul Giamatti's character than there is for Murphy. Murphy is a so brilliant and so off on his own planet that you can't really feel or or root for him that strongly. You and you know it's kind of a tragic story in a in a well, way. Well, I, I disagree because I read the book and as I told you, I fell in love with J. Robert Oppenheimer. Mm. while reading the book so it's hard for me to just watch the movie without also having that knowledge of him 
And and so of course I relate that way to to Killian Murphy. I would love to see him win. I thought he was great. He lost all that weight to play the part. He he learned Dutch mm. to play the part. I mean, it's an incredible accomplishment to be able to mm. to to play somebody that that was really hard to capture, almost impossible. Mm. Um, but we saw that with uh, the whale versus um, Austin Butler. You know, Austin Butler had all the praise in the world for his performance in Elvis and. Uh, but- but Brendan didn't win because of the performance. It was the narrative of the guy who had been out yes. and, and, and been taken out by his own, by gaining too much weight, and he was just no longer. And he came back, and people love that narrative. Even I didn't even love the movie that much, but I thought, this is a good narrative. So he's probably going to win on the basis of that. Don't forget, he he's plays a gay man. Yeah. So that you know puts him in the marginalized category for, okay. for the rapture. Right. You know, it's funny. Uh, one thing that surprised me about uh, about the whale that I was really taken by and it almost changed my whole view of it. The very last second, he's he's in the middle of this this uh, I, I forget what he's doing, but he's but he's involved in a lot of pain, a lot of, of self-incrimination. And then all of a sudden he gasps very quickly like, <gasps> and he's gone and it and death comes to him very quickly. And it's almost like a uh, like he's being rapturized. He's he's being taken by God up to another realm. And I thought that's a really strong piece of business right there. Yeah. And I changed my attitude about the whole film because of that ending. Funny. Well, I saw it and I I, I was so unexpectedly moved by it that you know yeah. I just kept crying when I thought about that movie. And so I can see why he won. I'm not just saying it's you know it's yeah. a bunch of woke yeah. people picking the gay actor, but. But um, but when you look at it objectively, you see that they're that right. those kind of and also if you look at best actor, just best actor over mm-hmm. the past since, like, say, the year 2000, you can really see the trajectory of what sort of the I would say the the rise of the left, the rise of Obama, the rise of the mm-hmm. sort of the the delicate, educated liberal type and the rise of marginalized groups and the hatred of masculinity and men. You mm-hmm. really can see it because you go from uh, Kevin Spacey in American Beauty, Russell Crowe, Gladiator, Denzel Washington, Training Day, mm-hmm. um, and even Sean Penn and Mystic River and Jamie Foxx and Ray, and Forrest Whitaker, Last King of Scotland, Daniel Day-Lewis, There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. And then right around 2009-2010, you start seeing these these different kind of heroes winning. You know, you see like the King's uh, Colin Firth for the King's speech, um, Matthew McConaughey, Dallas Buyers Club, <laughs> Eddie Redmayne, Theory of Everything. You know, I mean, uh-huh. I guess you got Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant. Maybe that's that's a counterexample. Anyway, anyway, my bottom bottom line is that you see these sort of these these good people who are tragic, you know, heroes um, winning. And so, uh-huh. who would be that one this year? Who's the good guy? Who's the tragic hero? Well, I guess Oppenheimer is one. And um, Paul Giamatti has to be another, right? I think Paul Giamatti could he could win as a as a career award. That too. I mean, he's not obviously not getting younger. He's like around sixty or something right now, something like that. Mm. So absolutely. Plus, everybody universally uh, acknowledges that it was like a shocking omission, and he wasn't even nominated, much less not winning. And you've already explained why, but still. I think that's a very strong current. So that's that's going to be a very good factor for him. So my last um, 
standout or my last comment is because uh, is Scott mentioned Leonardo DiCaprio in Killers of the Flower Moon. He plays uh, basically a bad guy. And I said that as Ernest Burkhart, Leo is essentially playing a weak-willed, none-too-bright cockroach. He's completely invested and believable in that role, but who wants to concentrate upon, much less celebrate, the moral writhings of an Oklahoma yokel? Uh. So you, I mean, you have to have feel something for the character. Even Michael Corleone, evil guy that he was, you felt something for the guy because he had been this young guy who, you know, really wanted to fight for his country and he went his own way and his father didn't approve and his brother almost beat him up for doing this. But you felt for him. He used to be this guy and he became corrupted, but you still felt something. You have to feel something. And and Leo's not a very, his character is a rather despicable fellow when you think about it so i don't think that was a very that's a very big score for him he's good he's always good leonardo DiCaprio never misses he always invests everything he has but i don't think it's a very compelling character well the problem is you don't know him right we don't know him because the movie doesn't explore his character right it's a binary good and bad people yeah. And they're the you know the Native Americans, the Osage are good, and the white people are bad, except mm-hmm. for the FBI. But mm-hmm. where he's concerned, we don't really know who he is or what he's about. Yeah, you know, you get it more a little bit more in the book, um, but but not as much. Uh, you know, I thought he did a good job too, but but he's an opaque character because you don't really find out. Well, I don't want to spoil it for people. Um. There's a kitty cat. <laughs> All right, let's do actress. He has okay. Annette Benning in the lead for, and I, I completely disagree with that for the win. No, I, I, I didn't see it, but, but I've just mentioned some prickly reactions I heard from uh, some, some of our mutual friends. And uh, she's not terribly likable or engaging, but she's playing a, a, a woman who really toughs out and does the hard thing and, and comes through at the end. But uh, I think. Probably or maybe nomination. What do you think? Nomination for sure. Although okay. it's a it's a shitstorm in the making. Diana Nyad, like that. There, if if people start to target her in the press, mm-hmm. I mean, I know she's a you know she's a, uh, I, I think she's a Democrat. I think she's she's on the team blue. But um, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's there's controversy about that movie, so we'll see how it goes. Um, I thought I mean, that it, controversy about what she didn't uh, she did fail to make the swim was it twice before she finally got it right and well some people say that they that they um, some people say that she didn't have an official person tracking it so they don't really know for sure that she she okay. actually made the swim but also mm-hmm. you know that there's the whole transphobia thing that she's been hit with which I actually admire that she had the courage to say but I don't know where that story is going to go. So I don't know if it will affect her chances of winning an Oscar or not. It's not transphobic to believe that women should compete against other women. You that's that's, you, just, you that's not, admirable. You you're know? not telling me, of course, thinking that I yeah. believe that. I'm just telling you that that's what the, the charges are going to be. Right. Um, I don't know. Like I say, I don't know where these stories are going to go. But when it comes to Oscar winning, mm-hmm. not nominating, but Oscar winning, sometimes those kind of controversies can hurt your chances. Mm. Um. But okay. that, that'll be an interesting thing to look at. But I, I don't see how Scott can put her ahead of Emma Stone for poor things. She's absolutely the, the front runner in my book. Do you feel that she's pretty much 
got it right now in terms of like the front runner. She has it as much as Kate Blanchett had it last year. Right. And didn't win. Yeah. I think she could be taken down, but um so now this this is basically this leads us into Lily Gladstone again. And I'll just read what I wrote and you tell me what you think. I said I said that Lily Gladstone plays uh Molly Burkhart, the wife of uh of Leonardo DiCaprio's Ernest Burkhart. Uh Gladstone's intention to go for Best Actress may result, I'm not disputing in any way, it may result in a nomination, Best Actress, but it is a tactical mistake. She should go for supporting. Her campaign, right as we speak right now, is strictly an identity pitch. Uh, She performs decently as Molly, but she has no big moments. She wasn't given any big moments. Most of the time, she just glares at the bad guys and lies dying of poisoning in in bed. And that's pretty much it. She doesn't even get to tell off Leonardo DiCaprio at the end. She doesn't have the how dare you moment. Nothing. Mm -hmm. So your your reaction. You think she's going to get it anyway, just on an identity thing, right? Um, I don't think identity, I wouldn't use that word. I would use use redemption for the industry more so. Like the- Redemption? Well, because I, I I wrote a whole thing about this. Yeah, it's a big, it's this a is... very powerful um, thing in the industry right now. The the Native American land acknowledgments, the, what we uh-huh. saw at the Academy Museum with North by Northwest, uh-huh. they give all these land acknowledgments. What how the how the campaign for Killers of the Flower Moon is being focused, um, and it's very much a it's very much leaning in the direction of that subject as opposed to this is a, a Martin Scorsese, you know, kind of semi-gangster movie about a bunch of bad guys doing. It's not a gangster movie. That's the thing. You know, there's always the thing with gang- with uh, Scorsese and, and crime films. He's He depicts with very boldly and, and no uh, sanding off the edges bad guys but he always makes them rascally and kind of like darkly charming in their own weird way there's no charm on the part of robert de niro and and leonardo dicaprio in this thing all these guys are scumbags they're they're bad people well uh uh, but prior to the great awakening they would have made the movie very scorsese would have made the movie very differently he would have made it like that he would have made it a good fellas set in the um in the West, and it would have been a kind of almost like Wolf of Wall Street, as in it was a, be a, a kind of a black comedy. Mm-hmm. It would be darkly funny, like Joker or something like that. It would be horrible, but it would be also entertaining and funny and wild. And that would have been great. But you it's just, not like, that. Just, it's yeah. definitely because it can't be in this climate. It just mm-hmm. can't be. It's one of the really touchy areas. Mm-hmm. And they they have smartly understood that they cannot sell this movie. They can't sell it that way. This is not the, whatever's happened to the left. They've eradicated satire. They've yeah. eradicated black humor. They've eradicated yeah. comedy and truth, frankly. And so they yeah. have to go with all they have on the table, which is this, you know, somber reckoning of our past. You know, and that's the only way they can tell that story. It's the only way they could make that movie. This is not what we like about Martin Scorsese, the filmmaker. He always does things that make you kind of like that tickle you, that are disturb you, but they're also a kind of a trip in the way he does it. And this is so this is sanctimonious. It really is. I mean, it's just well, I think you feel I think you feel when you're watching the movie, I think you feel the struggle of the two kinds. Like it's either a movie that was made by Steven Spielberg or Ava DuVernay. 
or it's mm-hmm. a movie made by the Coen brothers or Martin Scorsese. You know, it's like these two sort of different ways that people make movies and tell stories. One is sincere and one is not. And, right. and Scorsese doesn't make sense, usually <laughs> make right. sincere movies, except when he does. Like he made Silence, you know, and uh... I didn't like Silence because of the sincerity. That's that. That's one reason why I just didn't. I felt it. And I and I, you know, the whole thing of uh, of him falling away from the purity of the faith and and all that. I just thought it was it was moving, but I didn't really like it because I like the other Scorsese. To me, the real Scorsese is the one who who understands bad people and their and they're kind of craven, you know, lusts and longings. And I, I just, he's so good at, at, at getting, of squeezing honest life and, 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 and strength and, uh, and amusement. I mean, mm-hmm. that the quaalude scene in, in Wolf of Wall Street, that's pure Scorsese. I just love that stuff. Yeah. And well, you have to, a... you have to be prepared to go there. Scorsese's the guy who laughed at the scene where, I mean, look at Scorsese made King of Comedy, right? King of Comedy is is a hilarious, brilliant movie, but you have Mm -hmm. to have a really twisted sense of humor to get that movie. And and, you know, the scene in Taxi Driver where um, Martin Scorsese makes an appearance, you you know, that scene where he's sitting in the back seat. He's like, you know, who lives up there? Uh (laughs) You remember that? (laughs) Yeah. What a 44, (laughs) 44 mag (laughs) can do to a woman's. P word that you should see Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you should see like that's his. (laughs) That's what we love about. And you laugh even though it's it's horrible, but it's it's black humor. It's it's that, Mm -hmm. and that's this movie. You know, in Scorsese ten years ago or whatever, he would have made it that way. But it also would have been called out, and you know, people would freak out, and it would be the Mm -hmm. end of the world if he'd made that movie. So he couldn't. However, and both of us agree on this, is given that the constraints that he was under, it's still masterful filmmaking, and and Robbie Robertson's score is incredible. I Um, loved it. I loved every every that that rhythmic kind of you know Indian native drum thing that you feel throughout the whole it's really good it's really gets you i mean this is i i felt that i was totally in, in the in the hand of some really smart skillful people who knew what they were doing mm-hmm. and it's just a shame that it didn't get me as a, as a whole more than it did i didn't come out of it uh in in can thinking boy that wasn't any good i mean we have a mutual friend who didn't who did think that but i sure was assured and i felt good about being in their company the filmmakers i mean because they are they they really know what they're doing seriously the the production design the cinematography the acting the costumes like it is just so top-notch you you know it doesn't american filmmaking doesn't get any better than that like that is absolutely the is it the movie that you know scorsese could have made 10 years ago no it's not that movie yeah. You know, I mean, look, we didn't have a whole school of filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino without Martin Scorsese, right? Paul mm-hmm. Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino, you know, both come out of that school. One could even argue that David Lynch partly comes out of that school of, although he's probably more a Kubrick guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that rough and tumble Scorsese, you know, and all credit to him that he, that he did have to do what everybody has to do now, William Friedkin or whoever is mm-hmm. adjust and accommodate and uh, placate 
people who are going to flip out. Or, look, the era of men being able to do whatever they want in art is over. At least for yeah. now, it's over. Mm -hmm. Unless there's a counterculture that gets built up, you know, it's... Um, right. I know. Anyway, so... So what are we forgetting uh, actress-wise? I mean, I uh, basically, I feel that it's definitely Emma Stone. I don't think that I'm not that uh, uh, enthused uh, about um, uh, about uh, Margot Robbie. I, I think it's great that that movie brought the film industry back to life. And that and Oppenheimer, obviously, was a almost you know triumphant moment, and it was everybody feel good, no matter what you felt about the films. Uh, and but I just don't that kind of exaggerated kind of robotic acting, which is perfect. That's what she was supposed to do. She's playing a doll who's not very. But I, I just didn't think it was that great in terms of like acting, you know, best actress. I didn't, you know, but uh, and I didn't. I, of course, I haven't seen Carrie Mulligan yet, yeah. but I have seen Sandra Huller and Anatomy of Fall. Now, she's probably an outlier, but I really thought she was quite good. Did, did you see that until you're I right, still or? haven't seen it, Anatomy of a okay. Fall. And uh, he's got okay. Natalie Portman above Sandra Huller. Um, that's that's bullshit. That shit, that's not happening, that movie. It really isn't. And he's got Greta Lee from Past Lives and then Ingenue Ellis Taylor from Origin and Phoebe DeVaner for... Divne Div well, Div you didn't see Origin, right? You couldn't have seen it. No, right? I haven't seen it. Okay. A lot of these movies on here of his I haven't seen. He has, for possibilities, he has Jodie Comer in The Bike Riders. I thought she was very good. He's also got Helen Mirren... Um, Lonnie Ben Benesh for the Teachers Lounge. Mm -hmm. um, Eve Hewson. She's very good, by the way. That that German actress is excellent in that film. Mm. She is very good. I'm. I, she was at the uh, picnic actually, and I, I went up to her and the director and told them how much I was. Uh, I was really taken by the Teachers Lounge, and the, nobody had seen it at Telluride oh. at that point. And I was uh, <clears throat> very happy to meet her and meet him. So. Well, he's also got Can't Call Yet, Fantasia Barino, Color Purple. Saoirse Ronan, mm -hmm. Foe, whatever that is. Kaylee Spaney for um, Priscilla. So who won at Venice. Now, I know that doesn't mean anything, but she did win, and that means something, I guess, right? Mm. In Venice, you know, the best, the best actress. That's a, that's a significant... I don't know, uh, maybe. You don't think so, obviously. The thing okay. I think that's weird about Scott's predictions is he, for Best Supporting Actor, he mm -hmm. has... This, this, this baffles my mind like i i he has robert downey jr i agree ryan gosling mm -hmm. i agree mark ruffalo i agree those are the top three and then yeah. robert de niro killers of the flower moon i agree and then he's got jesse plemons who barely does anything in the movie so, he's not in it enough he, they don't, don't give him any big moments and then so. wait he has he has major threats one two three four five six and then way down in possibilities he has dominic sessa for the holdovers now to me he's one of the five I think he's so good in the movie, and if they like the movie, he's going to get nominated for that. He's clearly really good. He understands how to play that type of thing. Um, he's not irritating as young high school guys can be in this kind of role. Really excellent. I mean, just well written and well played. And he, he puts him. He puts him way down below John Magaro for Past Lives, who plays the the poor oh, husband oh, of <laughs> the poor the poor husband like. Yeah. That guy, I was joking with Clarence about this. It's like these movies that are made, written and directed by women, they always have these really wimpy husbands 
that that mm-hmm. have no parts, no characters to them, like and she said the husband and that, mm-hmm. um, and and Ben Wishaw <laughs> in Women Talking, mm-hmm. and then you have you have this guy in Past Lives, this like non man, mm-hmm. this non man, yep. basically a stuffed pillow who sleeps yeah. next to her at night, <laughs> couch it's <true>. potato. <laughs> He's playing one of those whippy guys that women directors seem to. You know, they put in their movies. That's true. I he know. Is... He just sits there while they have this conversation. Yeah. I mean, he's basically, <laughs> he could be Ken in Barbie, you know, because she mm. treats him so badly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but anyway, that I think that Ryan Gosling, I, I really do feel like it's between those three, Robert Downey Jr., Ryan Gosling, and Mark Ruffalo, and all any one of them could win because they're all mm. really good. I, I, you know, I don't know. Ryan Gosling, I think, might actually win it, ultimately. Maybe. But um, so he has Divine Joy Randolph in the lead for the holdovers. I think that's very good. Um, and she's, then he's wonderful. I mean, you remember I leaned over like five minutes into her performance that she's going to be nominated. There's no question about it. Yeah, but now that they've moved Juliette Binoche into uh, supporting, they have he has her in major threats. He doesn't even he has Rosamund Pike in Saltburn above Juliette Binoche. Oh, that's silly. That'll never happen. And he has Julianne Moore for May December. Also, will never happen. Jodie Foster for Nyad might happen. Sandra Huller, Zone of Interest, she's not going to get two nominations. No way. Yeah. Um, I would put Juliette Binoche up there for sure. She's an Oscar winner. She's not just, yeah. you know. Yeah, and she's, but let's be honest, it's just a strategic move because they, to call her a supporting actress, she's the act. she's it. She's the soul of the film. She's right up there with her ex-husband. Um, you know, there's no way you could call what she does a supporting performance, but they have to because lead is so you know competitive so they're just trying to get her in there yeah somehow. i don't agree I with that. his his supporting actress at all but just really mm. quickly since we're doing scott feinberg let's go over his best picture uh which i <laughs> i just can't with his best picture uh and i'll tell you why okay. he has front runners oppenheimer barbie poor things killers of the flower moon american fiction so far so good Mm-hmm. Then we get to Past Lives, and then all the way after Past Lives, The Holdovers. Did he not like that movie or something? Why does he have it way down so low? That's a tough It's weird five. that he does have it placed down below. And I all I can figure is that he has been speaking to people who feel that it's a, a curio. They don't believe that it's... They no, don't he's, respect that's, it he as is, being a, no, a here and now. It's too much of a 70s artifact movie, so therefore... He's basing he it on like, his own opinion. There's no way he's getting any intel on that, because nobody's seen it. Um, Maestro. Oh, talk to people that saw it in Telluride, I presume. Yeah, but everybody I talked to in Telluride, that was their number one movie that they loved. Oh, so. of course. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. if he's going off film critics, it doesn't matter what they think. Mm. Um, and then he's got Maestro, The Zone of Interest, and his last movie is Nyad. Mm. Right, Nyad's not getting in for Best Picture, bro. I'm sorry. Okay. It's not. Major threats, Anatomy of a Fall, All of Us All of Us Strangers has a better chance than Nyad, Dream Scenario, Origin, Spider-Man, American Symphony, and Rustin. Rustin, if he's, if he's going to predict, uh, I mean, Nyad's not going to make it into Best Picture, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he's got Possibilities, The Taste of Things, Air, May, December, Saltburn, D- Dumb Money, Fair Play, and then Can't Call Yet, The Color Purple, Ferrari, The Iron Claw, The Killer, Napoleon, and Priscilla. Mm. He's got... You know, you, you notice that Kyle Buchanan in the New York Times, he was saying right after uh, uh, Taste of Things uh, pushed through and became the official French submission for Best International Feature, he said it's incredibly 
audience friendly. And you know what he's talking about. But uh, I don't yep. think that that idea has, has sunk in enough because it really is Academy friendly. You know, it's really hits the sweet spot for the 40, well, 45 this, and over. If Harvey Weinstein had that movie back in the day, yeah. it would be a top contender. It would get all the, the nominations. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it's going to do, but it would be on my list for sure of the top movies that I saw. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so he's got he's got a, He's predicting right now. It's really still still early, but he's predicting um, Oppenheimer number one, Barbie number two right now, and mm-hmm. he's got Greta Gerwig coming in at number one for director, and Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer number two. I I might I might switch those. Mm-hmm. I might switch those and say that Christopher Nolan might have a better chance at winning Best Director, while Barbie might have a better chance of winning Best Picture. Because Oppenheimer's a little prickly uh, for people, whereas people love Barbie. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe Barbie... It's funny that he has Barbenheimer competing for these top two spots. Mm. Um, I don't know. I think it's too early to say for sure if Barbie is going to be respected enough to... I kind of think that poor things might steal a little bit of Barbie's thunder. Um, but, but there's no denying that Greta Gerwig is going to get award, rewarded and awarded for turning in. Yeah, she'll be, certainly be nominated for Best Director. For I, such I a massive blockbuster. Like, that's a huge right. success for her. Mm-hmm. Huge success for any woman to do that, where it's not even a favor and a pat on the head. Like, she really right. did it. She really deserves it, you know, mm-hmm. unconditionally. Right. So I can't argue with that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so then then we get to director, and he's got um, Greta Gerwig, Christopher Nolan, Yorgos Lanthimos, Martin Scorsese, and Jonathan Glazer for um, the zone of interest. I do not agree with that. I think Alexander Payne's going to get the fifth spot for the whole. Absolutely, voters. absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And. Um, I don't know where he's getting that Jonathan Glazer. Like it's because people were quite taken with it in Cannes, and they said it's quite the uh, penetrating. It does stick with you. There's no question about it. And the strategy of never showing you any of the horrors of Auschwitz, never putting it in our face, but letting us feel it uh, bit by bit. You know, just kind of hints and suggestions. It's a very strong strategy, and I and I understand why anybody would say, well, that was that was a movie that really stuck. And there's no question. You know, I think about it right now. I could that film really got to me. I just didn't think it really knocked it out of the park. But it, and because it, it is a rather chilly, cerebral, cold film. But that's the idea. I understand that. Well, I so. um, I dismissed Triangle of Sadness all year last year. I insisted it would get in, and it did. So I can't argue with people if they say the fifth spot is going to go to that movie because I. You know, mm-hmm. I wrecked my credibility last year by saying there's no way that terrible triangle of sadness is getting it. Um, it's funny, isn't it, how that movie uh, did so well with the Academy and also yeah. it won the second, another Palm d'Or. It just didn't figure that um, uh, uh, the Palm d'Or for for the um, uh, the, the first one, uh, the Square, which was completely deserved. Everybody loved it, but it was so bizarre that they gave it again to a clearly less good film. It's so funny the way know, they think up there. All those new, a lot of the new Academy members are international. Yeah. And so it makes sense that they go for that one international spot. That's the theory anyway, but I mm-hmm. think Alexander Payne has 
uh, well, we'll see. I'm not going to say that he doesn't, you know, the reason that Scott has Nyad in Best Picture, I think, is just because Annette Bening and Jodie Foster are so well-liked mm-hmm. in the Academy. He assumes that they'll get all the votes for, I'm not so sure it's going to work out that way. That it's The movie is mainly about their two performances, but the script is weak. And, how does um, Nyad end? Do you feel that it, half the movie, a movie's effectiveness is about how good the ending is. Do you feel it ends well? Well, Nyad? yeah, and because of them, because of her and her relationship with Annette Bening, um, mm-hmm. the two characters, it's very moving to watch them, the two of them together, and they're friends, they're not lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole movie, it's a relationship movie about the two of them more than it is about her achievement. It's more mm-hmm. about this prickly woman and her friend it's just unusual to see a movie like that with two gay women friendship where they're working together and they're like you just don't often see that in a movie it's odd but it's it's true it gets true to life you know we have these great friendships Mm -hmm. and um and so it's that's what's moving about it is their friendship and Jodie Foster is particularly good in it Mm -hmm. um Annette Bening is you know she plays a very unlikable person throughout the whole movie so you know not a lot of people are going to also the script is is just not that good and i will add that it's the first it's the directory you know the the scripted debut of documentary directors jimmy Mm -hmm. chin and chai vasahara lee uh and and then they're they make great you know they made um the rescue and uh free solo and mm. those are both really good movies. But when you're mm-hmm. directing actors, you have to be able to know if it's a good take, if the acting's bad, and, and ask them to do another take and make it sound more. It's not easy to be a director of actors. And people like uh, Fincher, Scorsese, whoever it is, mm. you can always tell how good a director is by how well they can tame their actors. And you can't just let them go and overact in every scene. Do you feel that Annette Benning overdoes the prickly, dislikable thing? Or I do a what? little bit. Yeah, it's a little bit of like her uh, American Beauty character. She just needed a little bit of reining in, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so that... I really liked her in American Beauty. I thought she was really funny. You know, I, I enjoyed her, uh, her. I thought she was, uh, you know, very flamboyant and very operatic in a way she was kind of like self um it was a kind of self-criticizing performance of her or, but it was i really enjoy that film largely i, I like her. her but i thought that she i thought it was an overacted performance personally i love yeah. her in the grifters um yeah. i think she's that's her best role um i mm. you know i think she's a really good actress i love her in american president She's really good in that. That's true. I agree. She's very good in that. Um, yeah. But the more broad Annette Benning, sometimes she goes, and I think that there are just a few scenes, especially early on, where I would have, if I was directing her, I would have said, okay, let's do that again, but let's bring it down mm-hmm. a little a couple of notches. But, mm. um, but the real problem with that movie is a script, to be perfectly honest. It's, mm. it's less the acting and directing and more the script. Um, okay. You'll see what I mean when you see it. Yeah. Have you seen or been hearing about anybody getting invited to see Ferrari? Because it's going to be playing at the New York Film Festival on the 13th, uh, which isn't too far from now, uh, two, two and a half weeks. Uh, have you heard about mm-hmm. anybody seeing it in your neck of the woods? No. Okay. I haven't. Um, I haven't heard anything. I haven't been invited. I haven't been invited to see Maestro. Like, I have no idea. 
um, when I'll be able to see that, right? Like, mm. that's, I'd love to be able to see it so I could predict it, but I haven't seen it, so I don't know. You know what? I, I was in the position to grab a, a ticket for that and see it along with everybody else. I was persuaded that it's not worth the trouble. And I'll see it eventually, but I'm, I've been persuaded that it's not, um, it's not a great film. By uh, weak, so... weak tea is the expression that sticks in my mind. And I, oh, God. Um, I heard uh, from a mutual friend of ours that he thought it was very, very uh, admirable and very good and one of the best of the year. But it, it sounds like it uh, may not uh, be that great of a film. So let's see. But I just know that it's, it's, it's a curious choice and I respect the choice that Bradley Cooper made to literally cut out everything that means to us Leonard Bernstein. In other words, most of the music, he just, it's mm. gone. It's not there. So I respect that because he's trying to not do a typical, uh, you know, biopic thing. And that means playing the music that you're associated with him. But uh, I lost enthusiasm about wanting to see it. Frankly. Well, it, it's got a 93 degree uh, review on Rotten Tomatoes. With mm-hmm. 43 reviews, so it seems like people really like it. Okay. Well, anyway, although so I, I hear yeah, Alex writes, Alex Billington writes, even if I mm-hmm. don't entirely love the film, this is easily some of the best cinematography in any film from 2023. Every mm-hmm. last shot is perfectly composed. Um, that's him. And then Stephanie Zakarek. Cooper plays Leonard Bernstein as a man who belong to everybody and still does. Okay, so she liked it. Mhm. Um only 3 Why bad reviews. I forget the name of the of the DP. It was the DP who was um with Aronofsky on Black Swan. Um young guy, I've met him a couple of times. I know the name's I, on the tip of my tongue. Um Anyway, he's you can tell from the trailer it's Libatique, Matthew Libatique, Libatique. Matthew. Yes, that's right. Lebatique. That's right. Matt Maddie Libatique. That's right. Maddie Libatique. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hello, Prevagen. I have stopped taking my Prevagen because I can't. Oh, <laughs> so now my I'm back to my foggy brain again. <laughs> I have to go find it. It's packed in my boxes somewhere. But um, okay. all right. Well, I'm never to give up. I, I really have you to thank. I'm never going to give that stuff up. I think no, it's me very... either. <laughs> me either. I noticed the <laughs> difference, really. I mean, it's not a drug or anything, but I can tell the difference between a clarified yeah. bind under Prevagen. <laughs> And a slightly exactly. foggier mind when, like, now trying to recall that guy's name mm-hmm. was was tough. Mm-hmm. So, um... okay, so we're we're we we spin ourselves, but I think we covered some good material. Yeah, and it, but uh, it was basically a good a good discussion. So I think it was I'm, a pretty good discussion too. And um, I guess we'll we'll check in next week. Yeah. See how things and go. If, and, and if something explodes, we can jump right into it. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Alrighty, have a good one. Have a, have a as soon day. as you're you born, they make you feel small by giving you no time instead of it all. Till the pain is so big you feel nothing at all. A working class hero is something to be. Working class hero is something to be. They hurt you at home and they hit you at school. 
They hate you if you're clever And they despise a fool Till you're so crazy You can't follow their rules A working class hero Is something to be A working class hero Is something to be They tortured and scared you for 20 odd years Then they expect you to pick a career When you can't really function You're so full of fear Working class hero is something to be Working class hero is something to be Keep you doped with religion and sex and TV And you think you're so clever and classless and free But you're still peasants as far as I can see Working class hero is something to be. Working class hero is something to be. You must learn how to smile as you kill If you want to be like the folks on the hill A working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be Working class hero is something to be. A working class hero is something to be. If you want to be a hero, well, just follow me. If you want to be a hero, well, just follow me.